Good morning. My name is Steve Blummer. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel, and I get the privilege of speaking with you a little bit today. Um, typically, I'm excited about having the opportunity to speak, but this week's a little bit different. We follow the series of the power of forgiveness, which has been a great and challenging and thick series. And then next week is uh, Jim Wood, who's been speaking at our men's retreat. We'll be speaking here next week. And Neil said that Jim is one of the best communicators of the Bible he has ever heard. And so I'm kind of sandwiched into the midst of those. And uh, I'm looking at it as a positive realm that I'm in the mix of fine company like that, right? Uh, but these topics of forgiveness, when we talk about forgiving ourselves or forgiving others or dealing with our anger with God as we perhaps have to forgive Him or ask for forgiveness from Him in a sense, are topics that can resonate with us really for a, a long time, if not our entire lives. These are topics that we have to constantly reoccur. So each week here at Hope Chapel, we do want you to be challenged to perhaps change an action or to gain a new perspective or to walk away with a different thought maybe to change a pattern of habits in your life, because you're learning more about God and you're learning more about His perfect design for your life, and God wants you to walk on this more spiritually healthy path. And so some of those weeks are going to be challenging. They're going to be stepping on your toes. You're going to be walking away as though you felt like you just got punched in the face, so to speak. Some of those weeks are going to be uplifting and encouraging, and you're just praising God for how good He is. And so I wasn't sure kind of where... We fell in the midst of that for this week. We're grateful as we hear so many stories of how you've talked about how the past couple of series have really spoken to you, whether it was the Above and Beyond series or the Power of Forgiveness series. You're talking to us, you're emailing us, you're talking with your life group or your accountability partner, and you're saying that these messages have been exactly what you needed. They may not have been exactly what you wanted to hear, but they're exactly what you needed And we want you to walk away not being amazed about what you heard from God, but being amazed about how God is working in your life because of what you've heard. Having the wisdom of God is always good for us. But what's even better is when you take God's wisdom and you apply it to your own life situation. And that's the kind of idea that I'm going on this morning, that there are things in our life that's good, they're good for us to do, but there are things that are even better for us to do in our lives. This idea of comparison we like to do, sometimes we watch those food networks, they say, hey, eat this, don't eat that, here's what you should be eating, here's what you should not be eating. We like to compare things. We look at reviews, we talk to people, we say, hey, where did you get those shoes? What kind of contractor did you hire? Did you like your internet service experience? We're always making sure we want the best products, the best service, the best experience. We look at labels, we compare brands, we shop around. We want the best thing that we could possibly get. And so when we talk about comparing, when it comes to our spiritual life, that can also be a good thing. We can look at our life, we can look at our life in the past, and we can look at life in the present and say, wow, we've really come a long way over the past several years. Or we can look at our past and we can look at our present And we say, we're pretty much the same. We haven't really dealt with this particular issue. Maybe now is the time where I need to change something. Comparing can be ungodly when we think about comparing ourselves with other people. Somebody else and we think, eh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in my life. Things are going well. 
and we can begin to rely less on God. We can begin to not see sin in our life because it's not as big as somebody else's sin. And so we're not in a state of humility with God. We can compare ourselves with others and say, man, I'll never be able to be like that person. And so we can have this chronic discouragement that we're never good enough, we're never okay, we can never obtain. And that type of comparing ourselves with other people is ungodly. But there is a sense when comparing ourselves with other people can be godly. Paul says, be like me, imitate me, use me as an example and as an encouragement that God can use anybody and do anything through anyone. So when we can compare ourselves with other people, it's okay to say, you know what, I want to one day be like that person. I want to have a spiritual walk like that person. That's okay. We should be sparked with ambition and excitement that we can grow closer to God just like anybody else. We shouldn't fall into this trap of feeling resentment or discouragement. So today I'm looking at six different themes of this better than. There's something better for us in our life. And there's a lot of better than statements in the Bible. I've kind of narrowed down to six different themes. And with six different themes, that doesn't give us a lot of time to talk about each of those themes. So I encourage you to take your bulletin, write on the back space where you have some notes. You can write down the points. I'll be sharing one of the verses in those points, but some of the verses that I read will not be up on the screen. So I just encourage you to write down the reference, take a look at them later. All right? So are we ready? Just like the first service. They weren't really ready. Are we ready now? All right. Let's get into it. Number one, better to share life with someone than to live segregated. It's better to share life with someone than to live segregated. And this comes out of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9 and 10. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. There's a lot of things going on in these verses, but I want to focus on the two better than statements in this passage. In verse 9, it says, a friend is better than self-counsel. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-counsel. Most of the people that I've talked to have admitted that they've talked to themselves from time to time, if not all the time. Majority of you are probably talking to yourself right now. You're listening to your thoughts. You're talking to yourself and giving yourself advice. You're thinking, what do I want to do after church is over? What do I need to get to? You're talking to yourself about what you should be making for dinner, what you need to be wearing. or what you're, you're constantly thinking about stuff, and you're listening to yourself. And some of that's good. You could tell yourself, here's what I need to be setting aside for retirement. And some of you wish that you could talk to your younger self and say, here's what you really need to be setting aside for retirement. We're always talking to ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, you and I have the ability to disregard our own advice. We have the ability to also agree with ourselves, even though it's a terrible idea. So self-counsel is good, but there's something even better, and that's a friend. 
A friend is someone that you can bounce ideas around. You can maybe learn something new that you've never thought of before. You could talk about why one way of doing things is really better than what you were going to plan and do the first way. You'll discover better products, better services, maybe a new app on your phone. You'll discover maybe a better doctor. Oil and incense in this passage are used for many reasons, including medical reasons, and simply just to cover up bad odors. So when you talk to a friend, they can make you feel better, and they can also kind of cover up some of that stench that's happening in your life. They're able to point out, this is the real issue as I see it that's going on in your life, because sometimes we're in the midst of things, and we can't hardly separate Is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? And a friend can kind of point those things out for you. The Bible is full of ways that we're supposed to relate to one another. We're supposed to pray for one another, carry one another's burdens, and so on and so on. Because God has designed us in his image to be relational people. God within himself is relational. There's three persons in one essence. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one essence. They are relational. And we are created in His image. That's why we're trying to constantly push you into life groups or a Bible study or an accountability group or a volunteer team because we want you to connect with other people. That's why we want you to go on retreats as they come up, the men's retreat coming up this weekend. We want you to go to those so that you can find a friend that would be so sweet to your soul as they talk into your life. Because the truth is, you will never stop having to find friends. Think about some of the great friends that you've had in your life. Maybe they're not even around anymore. They've moved away, you've moved away. Maybe they've passed on. Maybe they've just gone a different direction than you've gone on. And you're always in a need of finding a new friend. That's never going to stop. So maybe you need to ask yourself, do I have that one good friend that I can really go to and I can talk to about anything? This second better than statement is in verse 10. It says, a neighbor nearby is better than a brother far away. Now, this isn't trying to bust on your family. Some of you may have very good reasons to bust on your family. They let you down when you need them. They weren't there as you thought they should have been. But... What this verse is saying is that you need to have someone in your life that you can call on when you need it. When I was 18, I moved away from home. I went to another state. I went to college, and I was there for about a year. I was plugged into this new church. There was about 600 uh, members at this church, and um, I had this car. It wasn't the greatest car. It, it got me kind of around, and except it just kept breaking all the time. And I eventually just had to ride my bike to work seven miles each way. But one time I remembered it breaking down, and I called my dad, who had worked on cars for years. He was a parts manager at a dealership. My grandfather worked at the same dealership, and he was a mechanic for years. So I called him up, and I said, hey, Dad, do you think you could figure out what's going on, and maybe I can fix it on my own? And I remember him saying, it's really hard for me to take a look at it being so far away. Is there anybody in your church that can take a look at it? And the truth is that I knew someone who could fix the problem, but they weren't nearby. And the people who were nearby, I hadn't taken the time to develop relationships where I can go to someone and say, is there anybody in the church that can help me with my problem? 
And I think that's what some of us do right now in this room. We may not even know the person next to us. We don't know the person in the same row as us. And so we come to things in our life where we're looking for help and we have no idea where to go. Yet the person in this room has the wealth of knowledge and skills that could be there and they have a heart that was willing to help you in this time of need. But you two don't know each other. So I encourage you to take the time to learn about other people right within this own room. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. It's better to live life with someone than to live segregated. All right, number two. It's better to chase character than to capture stuff. It's better to chase character than to capture stuff. This comes out of Psalm 37, verse 16. The little that the righteous man has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. The little that the righteous man has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. Being a person of integrity, being a man of character, being a woman of virtue is so Important. It's better than being able to show off. Look what I've done. Look what I've accumulated in this life. And this isn't a comparison about having a little or having a lot because you can have a lot and be a very righteous person and you can have a little and be one of the nastiest people around. So this doesn't have anything to do with having a little or a lot. This has everything to do about being a person of character. And when you live a life for God... When you live a life according to a higher standing of moral and ethical calling, you know that you're not going to be like everybody else. You're not going to be normal. You're going to be one of those weird people. (laughs) Just think about, you're trying to obey the law and you're on the mass pike. And it says 65 miles an hour. If you go 65 miles an hour on the mass pike, you're going to have people honking at you, screaming at you, because you're causing problems, because you're not going 75 or 80 miles an hour. You're weird. And sometimes in our pursuit of business or more sales and for our company, we're often tempted to to cheat a corner or to buy less than reliable products or maybe sweeten deals that we know, I just really didn't want to do that. Sometimes we're, we're using those types of methods because that's kind of the standard in our industry, even though it may not be the best way of doing business. Or maybe we want to say, I want to keep all that I have as much as I can, so I'm not going to tell the IRS really how much I make. Or I want to keep all that I have, so I'm really not going to tell God how much I make, as though we can hide that from him. We hold back our tithe and and our offerings and we're not really given sacrificially to God's kingdom. When money is involved, temptation to cheat our character is always a risk. When money is involved, temptation to cheat our character is always a risk. Money can be an issue in a household. You have money and it's going somewhere and you're trying to figure out who's making it go. And so there's contention in your house because of money. 
Proverbs 17, verse 1 says, Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. It'd be better for you just to have a little bit of almost nothing and to be at peace about that than to have a whole bunch of stuff and there's argument and strife and anger in your house. You want something and someone else doesn't see the value in it and so you're fighting over that. You're not thinking about your character. You're not thinking about love and joy and peace and humility and contentment. You've been trapped in this idea that we need to capture stuff rather than developing our character. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 6 verse 9 says, Better what the eyes see than a wandering desire. Better what the eyes see than a wandering desire. It's better to look at what you have than what you don't have. You'll desire, or you'll, you'll end up desiring what you chase. Another way of saying it is, the more you stare at it, the more you'll seek after it. And when you seek after it, you will capture it. So what are your eyes looking at? Are you looking at character or are you looking at stuff? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of the body than your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus isn't literally asking you to gouge your eye out or chop your hand off, but he's saying, if there's are things in your life that are prohibiting you from growing closer to me, from developing your character, then you need to get rid of it. Get it out of your life. It's a distraction. Are you focused more on character or are you focused on stuff? Number three, it's better to keep studying than to settle for stupid. And if you don't like the word stupid, I wrote in there other choices, senseless, rash, irresponsible. I'm okay with saying stupid. This is out of Proverbs 17, verse 12. Better for a man to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his foolishness. This is one of my favorite things because it's so funny. Imagine the situation. You meet a bear in the woods who is robbed of her cubs. That's not a pleasant situation. I don't think you can sit down with a bear and say, okay, let's calm down a little bit. Let's think, where did you last see your cubs? Let's formulate a plan and we'll get your cubs back. That's not going to be the situation. You're running for your life. You're being chased by the bear. The bear thinks you did it. And if the bear catches you, the bear's going to maul you and tear you to shreds. And the proverb is saying, it's better for you to be in that situation than to be around someone in the middle of their foolishness. The book of Proverbs has many references to this foolish person. A foolish person could be a lazy person. It could be someone who just does the same thing over and over, expecting different results. A foolish person could be someone who just refuses to learn. I know all I need to know. I I don't need to learn anything about that right now. And I know right now you're thinking of someone in your family or someone at your workplace. You're thinking of a time when they did something that was just so stupid, so foolish. And the truth is that if they're hearing the message, they're probably thinking about you. (laughs) And when you did something so stupid and foolish, 
We all do stupid and foolish things from time to time, but that's not the point. The point is, are we learning from our mistakes? A foolish person will not learn from their mistakes because they don't see that they ever did anything wrong. They don't see the need of going to church. They don't see the need of reading their Bible or going to a community group. They don't see the need of attending a class or a seminar provided by their company. And this has nothing to do with age. No matter what your age is, there's always something for you to learn because maybe you've never heard of it before or you simply you forget and you can learn it again. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Better is a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. You know, the king could say, I've been in this situation before. I know how to handle it. But every situation is different. Things change in life, and we always need to be in a state of learning and studying and adapting our wisdom to new situations rather than thinking we just know what the right thing to do is. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 5 says, It's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. We need to surround ourselves with people who are smarter than we are. We need to be constantly learning and studying. And sometimes you may get to a point where you feel like, I'm the smartest guy in this group right now. And that may be very true. You may be the smartest guy in the group. So what do you do? Well, hopefully you're in a group that is eager to learn. Because if you're teaching them, you're sharpening your skills, you're applying the situation to a new circumstance, and, and you're becoming wise and staying smart. But if you're in a group where the people go, we just don't care to learn then you got to go back to this proverb where it says, it'd be better for you to say, all right, I give up. I'm not going to teach you anymore. I'm going to go in the woods. I'm going to try to find a bear. And I'm going to steal her cubs. Because it's, it's going to be better for you. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get upset. So it's better to keep learning than to stay stupid. Number four, better to use your words to bless than to badger. It's better to use your words to bless than to badger. And this comes out of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. It says, Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. It also says the same Proverbs 25, verse 24. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. He says it again in Proverbs 21, verse 19. Better to live in a wilderness, probably with that bear, than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Just in case I'm getting evil stares, I'm not going to go there this morning. That's for a women's retreat. All right? But this has tremendous value, not just if you're a wife or if you're a husband or if you're a female or if you're a male. This is for everyone. There's valuable uh, information in here because being around someone who is filled with strife, who is filled with anger, they're no fun to be around. You're no fun to be around when you're angry. Everyone wants to find the small hole to crawl in to be alone than rather than being in a big building dealing with the words that you're trying to battle with. Words hurt, but words can also heal. They can lift you up or words can tear you down. And I know 
that there are words that you have said that you wish that you could take back or that you wish you could say differently. You realize looking back that the words that you have said were far worse than the situation you were speaking into. The mess that you have created is way bigger than the mess that you were trying to solve. So we need to learn better ways of communicating. We need to learn better ways of dealing with our stress, not allowing things to get under our skin. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to always be thankful, to give compliments, to try to notice the good in, some, in someone. You know, don't let it be the only time you talk to somebody is when you're trying to correct them. Don't be the only time you fire up an email or you give that call is when you're trying to be critical. Find something that's good in that person. There's a passage we're going to look at. It's in Song of Solomon or Song of Songs in the Old Testament. It's a great story about two lovers that go back and forth and they kind of share these compliments with each other. It's a symbolism of how God loves us. And so the way this woman describes her love is, of course, a way better version than a nagging wife's version. So I want to look at Song of Solomon. It's going to be up on the screen. It's in chapter 5. This is found in verse 8 through 16. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my love, tell him that I am lovesick. And then they respond, said, What makes the one you love better than another, most beautiful of women? What makes him better than another, that you would give us this charge? And then she responds, My love is fit and strong, notable among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, washed in milk and set like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, towers of perfume. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. My wife said that last night. (laughs) Or did she say, his body is like an ivory panel covered with sapphires. His legs are alabaster pillars set on pedestals of pure gold. His presence like Lebanon is majestic as the cedars. His mouth is sweetness. He is absolutely desirable. This is my love and this is my friend, young women of Jerusalem. Wives, are, or is that the words that's coming out of your mouth? Husband, are those the words that are coming out to your mouth with your spouse? Employees, are those the type of words that are coming out for your employer? We need to use our words to bless rather than to badger. And when you do so, the other person will be more likely to respond with blessings in their words rather than words that badger as well. Number five, it's better to persevere in God's plan than to rush for results. Better to persevere in God's plan than to rush for results. This comes out of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Just because we are in God's plan and his will for our life, you know that that does not mean that we're going to be free from trials and troubles. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. He said, don't worry about the things of tomorrow and the worries that tomorrow is going to bring because today has enough things to worry about on its own. 
And so when trouble comes, what are you supposed to do? We need to persevere. We're not to give up. We don't bail out on God. We don't say it's not worth it because it's not working. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says that when we persevere, we will have a hope that does not disappoint because we will see how God's plan was working all along. Some of us, we just give up too early. And we don't experience all that God has planned in our lives. We've said, this just isn't working. I don't know what God's doing. Maybe God isn't doing anything. And we've given up too early. Rather than seeing God's plan fulfilled to the end, and at the end we can have this hope that doesn't disappoint, we can have this, this, this confidence in God that He has a plan for my life. Last week, Neil mentioned the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were crying out to God, God, free us from this slavery. Please rescue us. And God showed up and took the Israelites out of Egypt, and he was giving them this promised land. But in that journey, they had to go through the wilderness. And in that wilderness, God was testing them. At times they were hungry. At times they were thirsty. They came upon trouble. But God always provided But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 12, here's what the Israelites said. Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. That's not what they said. They asked God, come, help us, rescue us. They said it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're so tempted to give up on God's plan, to turn around, to go back to the slavery way of life, that they were living before, rather than holding out to see the promised land of freedom and abundance that God had planned for them. See, the Israelites struggled in trusting God because the Israelites struggled in perseverance. The Israelites struggled in trusting God because the Israelites struggled in perseverance. Psalm 63, verse 3 says, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. God's faithful love is better than life. How many of you can really say, I have persevered through a trial. I know that God had a plan and God was seeing me through this. God is faithful and I wasn't going to bail out. I was seeing his plan till the end. And I know that Waiting for the end to happen means that I may have to deal with this hurt a little bit longer. It means that I will maybe not find relief right away. I may not experience the results that I want right now. But it's always better to persevere in God's plan than to rush the results. And number six, it's better to reach the unreached than to relax with the reached. It's better to reach the unreached than to relax with the reached. This comes out of Luke chapter 17 and verse 2. This is Jesus talking. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
in this circumstance, the disciples were kind of withholding children from coming up to Jesus because Jesus was doing adult work. He was teaching the adults. And so he couldn't have children running up to Jesus. And immediately Jesus reprimanded the disciples and gave him this warning. It would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus cares about children because Jesus cares about those who have never heard about his love, about how he came and died on the cross for their sins. He cares about those people. If it ever came to the world that 99.9% of the world believed and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Jesus would still chase after the 0.01% of people. He wants everyone to know how much he cares for them. And so, in a sense, the unreached are more important than the reached. And that may be something hard for you to hear this morning. It's hard for me to even say that the unreached are more important than the reached. So if you're here today and you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's someone more important than you. And I don't mean to say that as though you you don't matter, that you're not important, that you don't belong here, because you do belong here. God has given you gifts and abilities, and you're a part of the body of Christ, and God has called you to be here. When you're not here, we all suffer. We can't grow into maturity. And we know that it's true based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're an important part of this church body. However, you and I need to be constantly aware of the empty seats right next to us. We need to be thinking about someone that we can invest and invite and help fill these seats in here. It's not about getting them to church. It's so that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It would be great for you to go out and to share your your story, to witness to them, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. But we know that can intimidate many of you. That's why we're partnered together. And we're asking you, if you can't do that, or even if you can do that, you invite them here and we can tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. We care because God cares. That's why you give and we invest three quarters of a million dollars every year in our budget to reach, connect, grow, and serve the world in love. That's why we invest resources and ask you to volunteer in our Kids Connect and our Alpha Omega Ministries. We understand that the majority of those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior will do so between the ages of 4 and 14. The majority of those who accept Jesus Christ will do so between the ages of 4 and 14. I was 6. Children must not be excluded from hearing about the good news of Jesus. And you may say, I'm not standing in the way of families coming to to know Jesus. If if families and children walk in, I'm going to love them. I'm going to welcome them. Then why in the world... Is our Kids Connect suffering to find volunteers? Why are Monday night Alpha Nights with junior hires struggling to find volunteers? Why are kids coming on a Wednesday night, high schoolers, without people who are mentoring them and preparing them for when they graduate, they're going to leave and go off to college, and some will never return to the church? Why are we allowing that to happen? Are we a stumbling block? to the youth and to the children. I think this is something that we need to be discontent about. 
Maybe we need to embrace that we need to volunteer in some capacity in this area, which means that we're going to have to be here for two services. We need to come to one service to worship, and we need to come to another service to serve. We need to embrace that there are kids who need people in their lives who will tell them, God matters. God loves you. And you may not even know how to do that, but just being there, being present, speaks volumes. Are you communicating with your words and with your actions that God cares for them? Maybe we need to embrace that we need to position ourselves in our workplace or in our families where we cannot be a hindrance to them coming to hear the good news of Jesus. And again, you may say, I'm not hindering anybody from coming to church or hearing about Jesus. But have we really cleared a path And are we really waving the flag that says, over here, over here is where hope and life exists. It exists in my life. Let me tell you about it. Or do your coworkers and your family not even know that you're a Christian or where you are in your faith? Those are some big challenges. Those are six themes that we can work on that we're maybe good in some of those areas, but... Are we better? And some of you may be here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to tell you that God loves you. That God came to earth to die on the cross for your sins so that you don't even have to try to figure out how you're supposed to deal with all that. And all we need to do is ask God, God, would you forgive me of my sins? And he will. So I encourage you this week. There's a lot of those things going on. Hopefully you take some good notes in your bullets and take a look at this week at six, those six things and, and ask God, God, is there some area in my life where I need to be better? Do I need to be better with my words? Do I need to stop chasing stuff and start chasing character? Do I need to think more about the unreached than myself? Do I need to use my words to bless rather than badger? Do I need to invest myself into learning rather than just staying where I am? Where is God calling you to be better? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love us, that you did not leave us where we were. You intervened on our behalf. You always have a, a will, a plan for our lives God, we don't understand the plan often. But God, help us to persevere in your plan so that we can develop a stronger confidence, a trustworthiness in you, knowing that you're not leaving us where we are. And we don't have to live this life alone. We can share this life with you. We can share this life with other people. God, we need your help in order to do this. Convict us in an area where you want us to change where you want to change in us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.